be in the space of self-reflection and to rather than think about the leader over there that is really confident and really successful and I want to be like that person is to really think about the leader that you are and the qualities that you embody and how to bring more of that to the table. Um, and so that is my hope and wish for any any leader is to connect more with who they are underneath all of the surface level survival mechanism things that show up. Welcome to the Leadership Junkies podcast brought to you by Cartavera, the leadership development ecosystem that helps you grow your people, grow your business and grow your life. We have a fascinating guest today. We have Chris Rollins with us and the title is Igniting Your Leadership Superpowers, Creating Safe Spaces Through Authenticity and a People First Approach. Now, Chris brings a wealth of experience, not only leadership, but life experience to the topic of leadership, to authentic leadership. He is prominent in his coaching work in the LBGTQ plus community, and he's here today to talk about what does it mean to be a purpose-driven leader? He's going to talk about vulnerability and authenticity, this idea of making sure we create safe spaces for people and why it matters. We're going to talk about some of what it means to be really authentic as a people-first leader and some of the threats or obstacles to that, including being in our self-protection or threat state. Chris is here to talk about what Craig and I talk about so regularly, this idea of what does it really mean to live and lead modeling people first leadership. And he's also going to talk about the realities of the workforce shifts that have happened, including the great resignation. It is the topic of the day with a unique twist from the LBGTQ plus community. Junkies podcast, where we explore leadership, business, and personal growth to help you grow your business and live a richer life. We're your hosts, Jeff Dishwitz and Craig Matthews. We believe that leaders have to put their people first. And if you don't have time to grow your people, then you're not leading. Get ready for conversations that will challenge your thinking and help you transform your leadership and your business. Welcome to your bigger business and bigger life. We are so excited to be back here today to talk about leadership, and we have a very special guest, Chris Rollins is this. He is the founder of Chris Rollins Coaching. I have had the personal pleasure of meeting Chris in person just probably about six weeks ago, something like that. We got together, uh, another a fellow friend had introduced us, had a great conversation, got done with it, and I said, wow, we should have recorded that. Oh, we can. <laughs> <laughs> so now we're going to do it with a little bit of uh, scheduling. Chris is a purpose-driven leadership and executive coach, and he works with leaders, especially in the LBGTQ plus community, to experience new levels of growth, success, and fulfillment. This is one thing I love about Chris. He says he's passionate about working with leaders to help them find their own voice and style so they can lead with purpose and authenticity, something we talk about so often here on Leadership Junkies. He's very skilled in creating a safe space for his clients to experience meaningful transformation to drive positive business results. Chris has worked with clients across a wide range of industries and functions. He's particularly inspired by coaching leaders who adopt a people-first approach. He's got a lot of time spent in corporate America, not only in sales, but in organizational development. And when living and leading from his essence, Chris embodies compassion, intimacy, love, joy, and peace. So welcome, Chris. Thank you, Jeff and Craig. It's uh, it's really, really nice to be here. 
Oh, those are some great words to embody. That's for sure. Yeah, we're going to get into that, but I got to tell you, you know, Chris, I already know you're one of the crazy ones. We're talking about <laughs> leadership. I'm sorry, leadership with compassion, intimacy, love, joy, and peace. Wait, what planet are we on? This is called the new planet leadership. I thought this was leadership junkies planet. Oh, God. <laughs> so, Chris, uh, give everybody a little bit of the backstory. Sure. So, uh, when I graduated college, I, I knew that I wanted to be working in organizational development, people, leadership, team, culture. I studied psychology and took a real interest in all the courses that my institution had offered around organizational development. And uh, what I didn't want to do is get right into HR. I wanted to experience the world of business from the other side of things. So uh, of course, I, I took a job in sales, uh, working for a software com company, uh, prospecting every day, cold calling, doing demos, hitting, trying to hit monthly quotas. Um, so I did that for about seven years, uh, both new business and then account management, working in the client success organization. Um, all of that time, I was I was planning to somehow get my way back into organizational development, HR, people, leadership, and I was very fortunate. The company I worked at in New York City marketer to have taken on a leadership role overseeing the, the organizational development team internally. So I was able to make a transition from a sales leadership position to an internal role, hmm. really overseeing the people and culture of the company. And I did that for about a year and a half before realizing, gosh, I spent my entire career getting to this place that I thought I always wanted to be <laughs> and now realize that it's not in fact where I want to be spending my time. And so as I looked ahead at my career path and was reflecting a lot about who I am and my strengths and what I wanted to be doing, I, I saw this disconnect. So I spent a lot of time reflecting about my purpose, how I wanted to be making an impact in the world, thinking about meaningful moments in my life that, you know, moments where I felt the way I wanted to feel all the time as an indication of what's going on in those moments that can tell me, you know, uh, what I need to be doing moving forward. And so I really connected with my purpose being, uh, you know, creating safe spaces for people. So they have the courage to find and live their truth hmm. and coaching became a really obvious way to honor that purpose. Um, so I, I left my job at the end of 2019 and have been coaching in my own practice, um, for almost two years now. And I absolutely love it. And, uh, as, as, as you heard in the introduction, I, particularly love working with folks in the LGBTQ plus community and, and serving, you know, leaders in the people space as well. So what are the unique challenges in the LGBTQ plus space as far as when you're dealing with leaders in there, how, how does that differ from others other than, you know, what they would deal with, with any type of differences? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, which is why I'm so passionate about talking about authentic leadership, because mm -hmm. I'll speak from my own experience. You know, when I entered the corporate world as a young professional out um, in, a, in a relationship at the time, you kind of wonder like, how do I bring this part of me into the workplace mm -hmm. when you're not necessarily seeing it around you mm -hmm. and not sure if you're safe to bring those types of things into the environment. So there's naturally this tendency to cover and to kind of mask part of who you are in order to 
fit in because we all want to fit in. We all want to belong. We all want to do well. <laughs> we want to have a good relationship with our boss. Um, so, you know, it's a, it's a challenge to look around and say, am I safe here? What are the cues or signals that are telling me that I can show up as my full authentic self in this space? And so as you, I mean, as I took on more leadership roles, then I was becoming more and more visible in the organizations I was in. And it became even more important for me to be comfortable with who I was as I was showing up in different spaces because, and you don't want to be leading an all hands meeting or a company-wide meeting or having all these responsibilities and, and like sort of questioning or doubting whether or not you're like safe in that space, mm -hmm. right? You can't, there's not a lot of power in that. So that's a big, the, the one of the biggest challenges I think is um, just being comfortable with self and, and understanding how to bring that into the space. Okay. So, so Chris, let's talk more about that for the moment. <laughs> you talked about safety several times mm -hmm. and we talk on here a lot about safety, about psychological safety in the workplace. And it feels to me like anyone of difference, and we could all say we all have differences, but I think there are different differences <laughs> that people in the LBGDQ plus community have this extra layer of safety they're seeking. Like almost they've got two jobs. How do I make sure I'm safe in the typical work yeah. environment? And also how am I safe in my difference? Would you say that's a pretty common experience? And, and how do you help people navigate that sort of dual keep stay safe question it's a really difficult challenge because they are different and the reason they're different is because there are structural and systemic you know uh, structures that actually threaten people's safety and well-being right like it is legal in many states to be fired because of your sexual orientation hmm. so there's your 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 I don't know the numbers but there's a lot of states still that still that, too many, still too still many. Too many. And there's many. a lot of, that's right. And there's a lot of countries where it's particularly, right. um, you know, looked down upon and, and punishable by death and things like that. So, you know, there's actual physical like threats to your safety. Um, and just, just knowing that even if you're in a place in a city where that's not the law and you know that, that you're protected, just, just the fact that that exists makes you a little bit more aware of that, right? And so there is an extra, there's extra effort, I think, that needs to go into putting your arm around people who are part of our community or part of other underrepresented communities. So how do you do that without making them feel awkward, um, different? You know, because if if I'm reaching out to somebody and I, you know, intentionally try to build a relationship so that they feel safe. Mm. Am I being disingenuous in any way or how, how is that perceived? Yeah, it's a good question. I, I think any normal human attempt to create connection is a welcome attempt to create connection and to build relationship and rapport. Mm -hmm. I think from like an organizational standpoint, certainly having uh, a, a diverse leadership team where you see people like you in positions of power. I mean, when I went into my last job, I, after several weeks, realized that there was an openly gay person on the senior leadership team. And that immediately made me feel mm, yeah. good. 
And I saw that he had a really good relationship with the CEO. So I said, oh, oh okay, that's that's good. <laughs> like I, that, that is a signal and a cue for me to feel a little bit more at ease in who I am. So I guess I would say in, in a lot of situations, I could see how joking or labels or other things like that would make you feel unsafe. What are some of the other cues that, that would lead you to feel like, okay, this isn't a place that's welcoming? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, I think, you know, not having resources, if you look at even benefits or healthcare mm -hmm. uh, for an organization, if they're not providing equal like benefits or access mm -hmm. to folks in the LGBTQ plus community, then it, it signals something about what's important to the company. It's same with, even if you think about it, leave for dads and leave for moms. You know, mm -hmm. there's a lot of inequity still in what is provided. And it goes even further when you think about a same-sex couple who's trying to have a, have a child adoption or however else. I'm curious, Chris, I want to talk about leadership more broadly, but I think this is such an important topic. And I, yeah. I feel like as an outsider that people of difference in the LBGTQ LBGTQ plus community is still not getting a lot of attention in the workplace in terms of training. You know, I hear a lot about training around uh, DEI training, but it just feels, it just feels like it's very uh, heavily weighted towards um, racism Race, issues. Yeah. And in general. Is it, I mean, tell me you're, you're closer to this. Is it getting equal attention in terms of efforts to educate and create more inclusivity? Yeah, it's a good question. The The thing that is really important to note is that there's so much intersectionality that exists with uh, within the LGBTQ plus community. And what's so amazing about our community is that we as a group are probably the most diverse population if you think about a like a, a group or an affinity group, right? Because within our community are people of all types of different yeah. races and ethnicities and backgrounds. So the community that I have online, it's amazing when I see people log into our, our sessions, it is such a diverse group of people. And we all have this thing in common that we're part of the LGBTQ plus community. So it's you know, there are great programs and organizations and resources specifically for like out leadership and out and equal supports LGBTQ plus community, but there's so much intersectionality that exists that's important to um, to take into consideration as well. So I'm curious from a research perspective, I know, I know there's a lot of research that talks about that organizations that are more diverse across a wide spectrum mm -hmm. uh, thrive. They're more profitable. They're 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 better businesses, and they and they achieve greater outcomes. That's pretty clear. I also know there's a lot of research that says communities, cities, that the more open and welcoming they are to the LBGTQ plus community, those communities thrive to a greater degree than others. But I'm curious: are is there research talking specifically about the LBGTQ community and its impact on mm. business culture and business performance? I expect there is, but I'll be honest, I am not, I'm not uh, up to speed on any research I could specifically cite or, or quote that would be interesting or helpful. Um, but 
yeah, I know that from just if you think about an organization and you think about leaders who are leading the people in that organization, you want those leaders to be, you know, standing firmly in their power, inspiring the people that they lead, um, creating safe spaces, and they first and foremost need to feel safe uh, in their own skin and in their own space as well. Um, so uh, the the support in developing LGBTQ plus leaders to me is really important. So is it just as, does it come back back to just the basics of treat people well, or is there more that we have to really think about? Yeah, I mean, I think it's also a lot of it depends on like the work that the individual needs to do, which is why I do what I do as a coach. Um, mm -hmm. So helping leaders, you know, when I, if I just think again about my experience in, in the workplace on the leadership team, as someone who is a high achiever, I want to do well, you know, I am always taking cues about how to behave in a certain situation. Mm -hmm. And while that helps me succeed, it also gets me further away from who I really am. So you, we yeah, talked about my, my essence words of compassion, intimacy, love, joy, and peace. Mm -hmm. Those, when I'm really just at my, at my best, those are the qualities that I bring when I show up into a space. Mm -hmm. When I am triggered by a, a, a clue that says I don't belong or I'm not safe here or uh, whatever might else be happening and I have survival mechanisms showing up, that's a version of me that is less powerful, not authentic, and not going to really inspire uh, other people. And mm -hmm. so it's constant work to remember that I am mm -hmm. compassion, I am intimacy. These are the qualities I'm going to bring into a space mm -hmm. and not try on or pretend to be something so that I fit in or am more liked by the people in the room, for example. Well, certainly if we had more companies, governments, you know, people in general who were following those same precepts, compassion, love, joy, peace, uh, intimacy. Wow. What a, what a difference that would make. Well, yeah. The, you know, the thing about it is I, I always knew that those were unique qualities about me and that I bring mm -hmm. into a space, but I always question like, how do I bring this like soft, empathetic, like <laughs> loving version of myself into the corporate space? And it's so funny. You talk about leadership. It's like, you don't, or I didn't feel comfortable doing that until, you know, I saw someone else doing it mm -hmm. or until I hear about like, Oh, it's possible. Yep. And that's what I, that's what I want to share with your listeners and anyone is, is if, if there's something or someone you want to be and or something you want to create and it doesn't exist yet, that's, that is your cue to bring that into, <laughs> into the space and into the world, not to say, yeah. Oh, it doesn't belong. Well, I think you're right. There's the number of role models that we have that actually demonstrate all of those characteristics don't seem to be as prevalent <laughs> as we would want. Mm. What, what's the step to find those role models? Well, you know, the, I've curated my networking, my community and my connections through a lot of conversations and, and outreach. And over time, you, you develop a network of people who love and appreciate and, and 
respect and support what you're doing in the world. And, and you inspire each other through those, through those types of things. And, um, you, you know, if you're someone who's, you know, wanting to be a leader in an organization and, and these qualities are important to you, then you need to think about, well, what is the culture of the business? What is the, what are the qualities that the CEO represents that, that are going to be trickling down to the company? Um, so yeah, there's the big thing though, is just being open to self-reflection and, and, and connecting with, with these qualities. So Chris, I want to go back to what you said uh, a moment ago. You went down to the list of these traits, these qualities. And I don't know if you noticed it, but you started off the list by saying soft. <laughs> and I think that's part of the challenge that I was taught that those are soft qualities. And I don't believe that anymore. And part of my objective is to, first of all, I don't label them that way because that's part of the problem. I've had people say to me in the last couple of years, how do leaders respond to this form of soft leadership? What are you talking about? <laughs> where, where did soft come into it? These are how, this is how you lead people with these traits. And so talk about the role of the labels hmm. as part of the challenge of leading differently and more authentically. It's such a good call out. And yeah. it's, it's funny because that's the same belief and context I've been in, like in my corporate career that had me not bringing those qualities hmm. to the table. And so there's part of me, I think it's still is in that, in that headspace a little bit. Um, and it's just, it's easier to, to use that language because I expect other people use it too, which is sort of against what I'm saying, right. Is like bring more of who you are and be, and be, be good with that. Um, but, uh, I guess I lost the turn of your question there was, was the length of labeling, the language that we use, Soft. right? Well, the role so, of the labeling. And, and yeah. I guess my, my follow-up question is this, Chris, which is probably, I, I would think is a difficult question because, um, you are who you are and I'm who I am in terms of, um, how you identify and your orientation and all those things. And I, I would believe that coming from the LBGTQ community, you would have a heightened concern about being perceived as soft. Hmm. I, yeah. I don't know. Is it, do you, did you That's feel true. maybe some That's... difference? I don't, you've not, not been the other, so I don't know, but what, what do you think about that? Yeah, it's true that that in itself is as an openly gay person makes me feel like I am different from the other people I am around and that I embody these qualities also feels different from what I'm seeing around. So it's, they kind of uh, interact in that way and make it a little bit more uh, challenging to, 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 to embody them and to show up with, with those qualities. Um, but that's the work. The word that's coming up for me is fierce um, instead of soft. It's fierce mm. because you're, you're showing fierce. up with intentionality. You're showing up with, with what people really need, not, not just what you feel, but it's, it goes well beyond that. And, in, and when you're creating intimacy, that, that is not a wimpy thing to do, right? When you are showing yeah. love and compassion, those are not passive leadership skills. Yeah. What I'm learning too is it's important to talk about some of these concepts in the context of like neuroscience, for example. Mm, yeah. So 
they're the Neural Leadership Institute. I've taken some programs with them and they use the SCARF model. I don't know if you're familiar with the SCARF model, which I'm not sure if they developed it or if it's someone else that they use, but it's basically a model to identify what you, how you tend to uh, be in the threat state versus a reward state. So what are the factors mm -hmm. that tend to get you into more of a threat state? So the, the things are status, certainty, autonomy, relatedness, and F is uh, fairness. fairness. Yeah, thank you. Um, and so when I talk about like intimacy and compassion, I'm really high on relatedness. So if I don't, meaning, you know, being like I'm a part of an in-group or an out-group. So if I feel like I'm part of an out-group, I'm going to be more in a threat state that doesn't allow me to, you know, access my cognition and perform and do the things that I need to do. So uh, the, the love, the intimacy, the compassion helps me feel more like I belong as a person into a space, which gets me back into a reward state versus a threat state. So there's, there's, there's actual neuroscience and, and research that supports some of these concepts that we're talking about. Hmm. So Chris, let me ask you another question. Um, you talked about safety uh, several times. And if we look in the workplace, I, I guess I would hope, and I'm sure there are exceptions, that in the workplace, someone from the LBGTQ community, LBGT2 plus community, would feel relatively, relative physical safety at work. Maybe not psychological safety, emotional safety, all those things. And the reality for someone today in this country, and the LBGTQ plus community is in the outside world, you, you have physical risk that I don't have. Yeah. And that's a reality. Mm -hmm. yeah. How does that impact the, the coaching and the work with leaders who may feel physically safe at work, not the others, but the reality of walking through their lives every day? Mm. There's some risk of being you. Yeah, I mean, really, I think that that dabbles in the in the world of, of therapy and other other sort of support resources that that I'm probably not as as well positioned to to provide. But the beautiful thing about what you just said is there are big global companies who have operations in countries where being gay is absolutely not okay. Mm -hmm. And the amazing thing about what they've created in those companies is that they feel more safe and more able to bring their full selves to work than they are outside of work. And that is really cool. Um, well, that is really cool. Special. So work is their safe place, their physical safe place. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. Now, does that, I would guess that that could bleed over into outside of work though. You know, if they're more open at work, um, you know, in, in a country where that's looked down upon. Yeah, I mean, if, if work is a place where you feel most safe, then work becomes a place where you have the opportunity to to grow into who you are and to become more of who you are as a member of the LGBTQ plus community, which, you know, ERGs, employee resource groups are really uh, building up in terms of their influence and presence in a lot of big companies. And um, those are those are safe spaces within organizations for affinity groups uh, to connect with each other, to support each other, to 
you know, advocate for their community on behalf of the company and to advocate for resources like the benefits I was talking about. So, so Chris, I want to I want to get uh, to a conversation about leadership a little more broadly. Mm-hmm. And I mean, all the concepts you've talked about apply. You talked about working. You love working with leaders who have a people first uh, approach. And it's interesting that word approach because you didn't say mindset. Because the approach means to me something you're actually living. <laughs> so are you finding more leaders who are leading that way or at least want to lead that way? What's been your experience with your coaching? Well, I have the great privilege and it's you know opportunity to to be so well connected within the HR space. And and many of those folks are my clients as well. And I there is a very big growing cohort of the people operations world, the HR world that are people first and so committed to helping their people. So as a former head of people working with heads of people and heads of HR, my my universe is sort of like I'm biased in answering that question because that's all <laughs> I see. <laughs> um, uh, because that's how I built my network. But uh, but even outside of that, yeah, it's it's you're seeing leaders of, of businesses, CEOs um, being more uh, open to, you know, bringing more compassion, kindness, vulnerability, authenticity to the workplace. So when I talk about approach, I do. You're right. It's not a mindset necessarily, but it's in how what you're actually doing. And so in my last company, one of the approaches we took, a belief that we had was that what is best for the individual is best for the company. So in the context of someone wanting to leave the company, we are not going to convince them or force them to try to stay because it's going to threaten the team that we have. We have to hire someone and it's going to put us in a pinch for two months and all the reasons why the fears come up and people try to keep the talent, you know, we're going to, we're going to talk to that person and kind of coach them through what's best for them. And I just, it, it, it makes me very uncomfortable when you see, you know, companies trying to uh, kind of strong arm people into these decisions because out of fear, not out of love. Hmm. So let me, let me come at that maybe from a different angle. Craig's heard me say this a lot. It's a big, it's a chapter in my new book is about the role of tolerance in organizations, hmm. yeah. not of differences, but the idea of, that we tolerate people in situations that are not in alignment with our values, but we tolerate them often because they bring some sort of value or we're afraid to do something. So in that sense, I could see uh, like someone to me, if I'm tolerating you in my organization, even though you regularly engage in verbally abusive communication, that's out. I say it's outside our values, but I allow that because you bring some value. Well, that's not for the good of everybody else. Right. That's for the good of the organization. So have you seen have you seen ways that this tolerance is showing up with your clients who are people first? And does that create a challenge in really staying people first as an organization? Well, the challenge with a lot of these people first HR leaders like myself is that we're pretty high on compassion and pretty high on empathy. Which means that doing the hard thing, like letting someone go, for example, becomes a lot more challenging and gets us in more of a fear state. So 
uh, it's there's a light and shadow to all of our qualities, right? And so that's I think becomes a bigger challenge for some of my clients. It it is a really hard thing to do, but the work is in really understanding that ultimately it's the kindest thing to do, right? Is to is to have that conversation. It's an interesting dichotomy. You know, we, we look at you know ultimately we're hired to do the best for the company. But to do that, we need to treat people well. But to treat people well, sometimes we need to make sure that the wrong people are not included, which means we're looking out for the company. So it's this back and forth dance that we have to do between looking at the people first, looking at the company first, and melding those together. Yeah. If you have really strongly rooted and embedded values in the company, it becomes a lot easier to measure against those things, right? Yeah, good point. Let's take a quick break and hear from our sponsors. I've been a Beta Gamma Sigma member for the last 20 years. If you're looking to hire, the right candidate is closer than you think. Beta Gamma Sigma is the International Business Honor Society, exclusively for students at the top of their class in the top 5% of business schools in the world. BGS members are academic achievers, skilled leaders, and experienced problem solvers, and their skills and experience extend beyond the classroom. They hold chapter leadership positions, attend global business summits, complete ethics trainings, and engage in world-class internships with top corporations. When you hire a Beta Gamma Sigma member, you are truly hiring the best in business. For more information, email bgshonors at betagammasigma.org to learn more about how to hire BGS members. I'm a grown-up. Me too. Yep, me too. But you know, these days, being a grown-up can really suck. Luckily, we're grown-ups who grew up in the coolest generation. We had video arcades. And also some of the best TV and movies ever made. We lived the origin of awesome consumer electronics. The list goes on and on. Yep, Generation X. Exactly. And we're Gen X Grown-Up. Every week, the Gen X Grown-Up podcast explores media, tech, toys, games, and more from both yesterday and today. Through the eyes of Generation Xers who absolutely love that stuff. You can find us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Or find us on our website, genxgrownup.com. All right, you think that was good enough? I, I hope so, man. I'm tired. <laughs> who listens to a promo on a podcast and then goes and listens to a different podcast? Right. I, I, I've never done it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> You've got questions, we've got answers. Business leadership, ownership, and sales can be challenging. Tune into the Accelerate Your Business Growth podcast to learn from the world's experts. Join me, your host, Diane Helbig, as I chat with people who have expertise in various areas of business. You'll enjoy the lively conversations that are focused on providing you with the ideas, tips, and suggestions you need to realize greater success. Get what you need for your business when you need it from the people who have the answers. Accelerate Your Business Growth is part of the Evergreen Podcast Network and is available on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Welcome back. Well, I think it seems to me there's a lot of, we've got a lot of, I call them old stories. And I actually did a video this morning talking about there's two kinds of old, old stories or old sayings. There's old sayings that are old because they've been around a while and they're still great wisdom. And there's old sayings that are old and need to be gone. <laughs> and, and I think empathy is one of those because a thing I, something I hear a lot from HR leaders, in fact, are 
yes, empathy is important, but you can't be too, you got to be careful to not be too empathetic. <laughs> and I actually don't believe that. My personal belief is that you can, I can be empathy. I can be empathetic even when I'm doing the hard stuff. I can be empathetic in my having that direct conversation. I can be empathetic as, in, dis, in separating someone. That the empathy is not the problem. It's my challenge of having empathy and setting boundaries at the same mm -hmm. time. And they're not inconsistent. And I think we live in a world where people tend to see everything as this or that versus how they fit together. <laughs> World's a little more complex. Yeah. Yeah. I've heard people talk about empathy versus compassion in that context. Like compassion is, is bringing all of that empathy and creating the space to allow, you know, action to happen. I think Jeff Weiner of LinkedIn likens it to uh, like, if you are walking along the side of a mountain and you see someone there with a boulder on top of their chest, you're going to have a lot of empathy for that person. But if you just have a lot of empathy, then <laughs> you know, you're just going to be there with the boulder on your chest too, feeling all everything that they're feeling. Compassion is like really understanding what they're going through and, you know, creating enough space to move the boulder for that person to also move mm. forward. Um, but it's, it's true. Like as, as a coach, as you know, it's, uh, it's, well, for me, I'll speak for myself with a lot of empathy. One of my challenges is not getting so focused on the problem or the issue that my client has, because I want to really relate to them and feel for them and understand what they're going through. But if I'm only focusing on the problem and bringing a lot of the empathy, then we're not creating space to move forward. And it's also back to neuroscience is you want to get them in the reward state. And by talking about the problem, you're just activating more of the threat mm -hmm. response. So how do we let's let's actually talk about what it, the difference would look like between the, maybe the way that people normally fire or let somebody go, and what it would look like with empathy, empathy and compassion. So what is the difference there? I mean, if I if I just come in and say, Jeff, you're fired you know, and leave it at that. I mean, that's clearly not empathetic, but where do we go from there? Yeah. I mean, I think the, first of all, like systematically, there needs to be a, a well-defined process for any of these things, okay. because if there's not, then it's very easy to have people taking a lot of different approaches, which, which then creates like inequity and inequality and in how you're approaching these conversations. So you want consistency, but consistency. Yeah. Okay. Um, and there's room for flexibility in, in there, but you know, a compassionate way to let somebody go might be if it works for your company and works for the situation is to let them know that it's not working out and to give them, you know, four or six weeks to finish out their their job while they look for another job. You know, this okay. someone if this is someone who's really committed to the company, they they embody the values, they're someone who does really great work. And we've tried everything that we can to make it work in, in all the ways that we've wanted to, and it's still not working. Um, that is one way to have a really compassionate, you know, separation with someone. And like, of course it's not realistic for every situation, but it's yeah. it's it's an approach I've taken in, in my past that worked really well. I can see that there would be some fear there of, okay, now if they know that they're going to be gone, you know, what are they going to do to undermine the company or something like that? And so I guess to your point, it's a situational thing, but what about uh, maybe outplacement services or even leveraging your network to help them find a better fit? 
Yeah, exactly. I mean, the, what are the, what are the resources you're providing for the people that you are letting go? Job support, job search support. Uh, uh, I was talking to a company yesterday uh, who, um, it's more in the context of onboarding or when they get promotions, mm -hmm. they give them access to like financial advisors to help them rethink. Oh, you have this extra $10,000 a year. Like, how do yeah. you want to spend it? Here's, here's how you budget. And hmm. so that could also be, you know, something that you do for folks who are transitioning out. They have to really think about their money. Right. Hmm. Yeah. I think this is a really important conversation and getting down into the nitty gritty, because there's a couple of things I just heard in that conversation. One was about um, the fear piece, Craig. Mm -hmm. I would say a lot of organizations, I don't know percentages, but a lot of organizations have policies that say when someone is terminated, they're out the door that day. You have to be escorted. For all yeah. the yes. reasons you said. And everybody's treated that way. Right. Which to me is not how to treat people like people. You're treating, right, right. you've got one in a hundred who's a risk, but you're going to treat a hundred that way because you're in a fear space. Yeah not a compassion place. And, and there's a risk of compassion, right? There is a risk. And that's the question we have to answer. And the other I would argue is, you, you jokingly said, Craig, hey, you're fired. But see, I would argue that part of our conversations around terminations is not empathetic, it's sympathetic, and it hurts the person. Like mm -hmm. I, I, I coach leaders, if you're going to terminate someone, when you bring them in, the first words out of your mouth are that they no longer work there or some version of that. Mm -hmm not 15 minutes of this is not working. And they're sitting there <laughs> right. going, what's coming at the end? They yeah. actually don't know. And Good they point. think that's kinder or treating them better. But in fact, it's more painful to just say, look, just so we know, uh, we've been talking about this for a while and hopefully that's true. You're not meeting expectations. We've made a decision to end your employment with this company. Now we're going to talk. We can talk. And I think sometimes people say it's like, we're too direct and that's kinder, but I don't, mm. not, I don't think it's about kindness. I really am not a fan of the word kindness. I'm more a fan of empathy and compassion and caring and loving because kindness can be, let's be nice. And nice is not necessarily <laughs> empathetic or compassionate. Yeah. Yeah. Depends on how you define kindness and niceness. There's, there's a lot of conversation about being nice versus being kind and uh, being kind is doing the hard thing mm. when it's the best thing for the other person. So mm. being nice is, is what you said of like having 15 minutes of protecting yourself and then telling them that they let go. Yeah. Being kind is being clear and upfront. Brene Brown talks, she says, clear is kind, unclear is unkind. Um, so, uh, yeah, I think that's a, a nice, nice one to live by. I think there's also some room for bravery here in, in stepping out and saying, okay, look, we're going to have a separation here, but I want to let you know, we're also here to support you. Ultimately, we want you because we care for you. We want you to find a place that lights you up, that you can function at your best. It's just not here. So let's talk about what that next step can be. Yeah, exactly. That's, you know, is that, I mean, Jeff, from your take, is that not being empathetic or is that being empathetic? Where, where do you sit on that? I come down to how authentic is it? 
I'm, I'm assuming I mean, that it's it's authentic. Well, but, we but I'm saying, but a lot of people are not in saying that. I mean, for example, I have exited people from my companies yeah. that I'm not going to give them a favorable recommendation. Sure. It may have been a bad fit, but I would not in, in my own integrity say to someone, I'm not going to tell someone that's, that something is not true about them. Sure. So I think that for me, the key is not the ending, but what's been the whole setup to this? Have they had mm. that experience? Because if they've not had that experience the entire time they're there, me telling them that at the end falls pretty flat. Mm. I got your back now that you're leaving. <laughs> and they're going, you haven't had my back for three years. I haven't felt supported. I haven't felt like you were trying to help me improve. You, yeah. you let me hang out here and now you're going to help me out. Mm. That's it. Because to your, Chris, you talk about authenticity. That's a, 24 seven job authenticity. Yes. Yeah. And it's, it's scary. That's to me what leadership's about taking those risks. It is. That's such a good point in, in all my coaching conversations, when there's, there's a, there's a relationship challenge or something's not working. It always comes down to having an authentic conversation about what's going on for you. So you can bring the stuff into the space yes. that you can actually do something about because there's what I call this like invisible context that everyone's like dancing in that, you know, you're, we're not naming the thing that's actually happening. So we can't do anything about it. So, you know, I, one of my clients, she reports to the CEO, she's been struggling with a lack of direction and certainty from, from what the goals are of the company. And she's again, the scarf model certainty, she's high uncertainty. So she's in this threat state and, uh, it just came down to having a vulnerable conversation with her CEO to say, Hey, this is what I'm experiencing. And this is how it's impacting me. You probably don't know. You probably don't realize this, but, and he was like, wow, I didn't know you were experiencing all of these things. So it's, it's, it's a risky conversation because it feels like what might happen. I'm being really vulnerable, but that's what it's, that's what it's about. So having those conversations though, it seems like, we, we do need to be clear, okay, we're having a performance conversation. So the performance, you know, it's, it's lacking. Now, oftentimes, you know, Jeff and I talk about, we have these, these performance improvement plans, and we only do that for people who are not performing up to our expectations, when we could do so much more with the people who are. But when we're, when we're having that issue, where somebody is not meeting the, the goals, standards, whatever it is, how do we have those types of conversations in, you know, using the words you're talking about, compassionate, you know, even in intimacy um, in those types of environments? Yeah, it's such a, I have such a, like a adverse reaction to, to performance improvement plans. <laughs> yeah. Mostly but, because I was guilty of, of putting them together when I was mm -hmm. a leader and in the corporate and it's just, such a, a big resource drain and it's a miserable experience for everyone going through it. And it ultimately a lot of the times doesn't, it doesn't even work, but. So sidebar, um, how much, of yeah. the, what percentage of the time would you say that it does work? Because we've heard some uh, various slots. Yeah. I mean, I would venture to say, this is just my perspective that maybe, maybe 20% of the time it would work. Wow. So really kind of not worth doing. No, I mean, and I guess it depends on what, what it means to, to work or what a success look yeah. like, but okay. 
uh, it also just doesn't feel like the, a friendly, <laughs> loving, like people first thing to do. And maybe, maybe there's a way to, to do a PIF that I, that I am not aware of. That's a really compassionate way to do that. But um, well, how much of that could be the mindset? Because I think a lot of organizations, they view the PIP as a process yeah. that exists, not for the sake of the person, but for the sake of the organization. Exactly. It's, it's yeah. more to about- hopefully save the person. Pardon? I think it depends on, you're right. It depends on the mindset. You know, if, if it's the thing that we have to do in order to prove that this person doesn't belong here mm-hmm. and that so that we can say it's not working out, that is just a, a bad experience and not, mm. not, not a good way to, to do it. Um, that is basically, I think, a lack of courage in making the decision upfront. And it's, and it's pulling everyone through a process that is not good. So what does a good process look like? Yeah. So the, the, I think it's, I think it comes down to agreements versus expectations. Mm. So okay. if things, if you're not, meeting expectations, then what are some agreements that we can create about how to make this work mm-hmm. going forward and make it more of a mutual discussion and understanding about what, what success looks like and can you agree to this and are we on the same page versus expectations is here's all these things you need to do in the next four weeks if, so that you don't get fired. And if they if, if through that conversation about creating agreements, we can't come to an agreement about Mm. what we need to do, then we, we move in a different direction. And that's the kindest thing for everyone. Yeah. So Chris, I want to go back to something you m- mentioned a few minutes ago. You said something and you actually, no one else could see it because we're seeing you, you put your hands towards your body and said it was about yourself, like protecting yourself, that preamble conversation. Mm. Uh, so I'm curious, how often are you working with your leadership clients on helping them to understand how often their behavior is in fact selfish and mm-hmm. self-protective. I think that's a big blind spot in leadership. It's a huge blind spot. And I think it's particularly challenging for new leaders or leaders that are taking on bigger responsibility because you're automatically in a state of wanting to succeed, wanting to prove that you know you're worth this job. And so all of that puts you in the context of protecting self and that limits your ability to be really impactful and to serve the people on your team in the way that they need to be served because you're going to be making decisions. I'm guilty of this that protect yourself versus serve the people on your team. So another piece I want to ask you about, Chris, you have said, actually it was in the introduction and you've mentioned this phrase or word many times today you talked about space creating a space and or a safe space i guarantee you people hear that and go what the hell is he talking about Mm. what and and some people saying what's that got to do with leadership can (laughs) you talk more about that because i think it's vital yes to talk more about what that actually is and where it comes from well, when I think about the first thing I think about with the safe space is that is what I create with my clients. So, mm. I mean, all of my work is via Zoom, but I'm creating a safe space in the Zoom room by creating agreements about how we're going to show up mm. and how how we're going to be in this relationship together. So now 
there's 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 safety in knowing like the certainty piece. Uh, there's there's the relatedness that we we build rapport, and so all these things just allow us to be in a place where my client is comfortable talking about the real challenges that are going on for them. So the same thing applies for leaders and people on their team. So how do you create the conditions for people to be authentic and real in their conversations so that you can actually break through and help them develop and grow? And that's what I mean by creating a safe space is what are the creating is creating the conditions for meaningful transformation to actually happen. And people need to feel safe, not in a threat state in order for that to happen. So let's talk about how this, I'm trying to piggyback on this, Jess. So I'm just wondering when we look at the hiring process so that we hire the right people so we don't have to go down the path of, of firing them and also the onboarding, those two parts seem to be hugely important when we're both creating that safe space and when we are making sure that we have alignment. So how do we do that well? Oh, that is a big question. Um, but there's, there's, uh, there's enrolling people in the, it's, I think first is being really clear on who you are and what you believe mm -hmm. as an organization and as leaders, because if you don't have that, then you're not able to really share and communicate what's important about how we show up together in this space. Okay. So first is being really clear about who you are as an organization and who you are as leaders. But then it's about enrolling people into that and embedding people in the culture. But there's, I mean, there's so many nuances to, uh, to onboarding, successfully hiring onboarding people um, in terms of the, how you interview and, and where you're even getting talent from mm, and yeah. what, are the, what are the processes you have in place to help people feel well-connected. I mean, and it's, it's a good point when people enter new organizations, especially now, a lot of them are doing that virtually you are an outsider coming into an in-group and so mm -hmm. you want to feel connected. And so what are the things right. you're doing to help that person feel connected mm -hmm. to the company and, and having certainty about what your goals are and um, all of those things. So when you're coaching somebody who's a leader, they're stepping into a new role, maybe. Mm. Um, how much, or maybe they're interviewing for something. How much of it is dependent upon them really explaining who they are to the person who's interviewing them so that that helps the fit versus being afraid that if they really show who they are, they're not going to get hired. Yeah, it's such a good question. I hear it all the time. <laughs> I mean, I kind of put it back on my, my client and say, well, what do you really want? Do you want to be in an organization that acknowledges and accepts who you are and allows you to, to show up with the, the values and the way that you work best? Or do you, hmm. or is that not as important to you? And listen, like some people yeah. just need a job. So, so get the job and then, and then figure it out from there. But <laughs> I mean, it, it's, it obviously depends on the situation, but I'm always a stand for people standing for who they are and, and doing their best to, to find the right opportunity. And the truth is you can ask all those questions and present yourself in the most authentic way and you get into the company and it's not at all what you thought. Hmm. Great point. Yeah. So Chris, um, just by looking at you, so I am making an assumption, but I have met you 
I'm, I'm a little older than you. Let's just say that. <laughs> so some of like this is, I've, I've, I've seen this for almost, I've seen the work world for almost 40 years now. And I was telling someone yesterday that it, something hit me that I never realized before that I keep saying, let's get back to people first leadership, but I'm not sure there's ever been people first uh, leadership. Yeah. I really, if I think about the reality of work, I, I'm trying to scan in my lifetime. When were people really the priority other than just a means to an end? Culturally, I thought, I don't know of a time. Certain leaders did that. Yeah. So I feel like mm, being people point. first is, is actually something really new, even though it's been talked about for a long time. Mm. Are you fine? What are you finding as you look to bring this people first mindset? Or are you just working with folks who are there? and helping them bring it into the organization, because that could be another path to change. Well, I, um, like I said, I'm most inspired by working with people who adopt this mindset because it, it allows for so much growth mm -hmm. and transformation to happen within their organization. But it yes. may be that the head of people is that way, but the CEO or other folks in the company aren't. So it's a lot of coaching to, to create alignment around those things. But the biggest thing I'm noticing is that uh, largely due to COVID, uh, most, I mean, a lot of people have entered a point of reflection. And I think it's demanding that companies are, are adopting more of a people first approach and really connecting with things like what are their values and what do they believe and what do they stand for? Because candidates are asking those questions and wanting to know. So I think there's there's a plus. I think the the Gen Z um, generation is also coming into the workplace with this mindset already. So there's a lot of forces that are at play now that are creating this momentum. So let's talk about that momentum for a minute. Uh, I know we're getting near time here. We haven't talked about a recent phenomenon. And I would like to get your thoughts on it. Uh, it was initially called the Great Resignation. <laughs> uh, it's also been referred to as the Great Disengagement. Uh, I referred to it recently as the Great Reassessment. <laughs> and what's your take on that dynamic? And for people who don't know, it, it's still happening, but it was really focused April to June this year. I think 11 and a half million people quit their jobs voluntarily at all kinds of levels. And a lot of that's not coming back. I mean, that's sort of the interesting part. I don't think the quitting has continued as much, but it's not like they're all racing back to work. And I just saw a statistic and I'll close with this recently, something like 41% of people are considering are open to a job change. Mm -hmm. That's a huge percentage. Huge. And like, what's your sense of that? What's driving this? and you're, what you're seeing? Well, so what's driving it, I think, is people, you know, at home for a year or however long with jobs that they before could tolerate, and now they're at home with their families and their kids, <laughs> yeah. and they're doing their job that they can tolerate, and, and suddenly it's like, what is this all for? Mm. There's a, I haven't read the book, but there's a great framework in the book, um, Real Power, uh, Stages of Personal Power and Organizations by Janet, I'm forgetting her last name. Um, and she talks about these stages of power, uh, powerlessness, stage one, 
power by association, stage two, power by achievement, stage three. And then there's this crisis of integrity that happens. So you've been, you're getting all your power by how you've succeeded in your career. And then you wake up one day and, and ask like, well, who am I? What is this all for? What is my purpose? And then you enter power by reflection. Um, Janet Hagberg. Um, and uh, I think that's what so many people are entering into right now is, is taking their power back as they think about these deep and meaningful questions about what is my purpose here? What sort of impact do I want to have? What is this all for? And that's the type of, I mean, that's the type of stuff that we love to talk about with our clients, right? Because it's the meaningful, deep stuff. Um, but back to my point about being people first and how we approach things. So the way I view this great reassessment, great reshuffle, however you want to talk about it, is like rather than as an organization, figure out what do we need to do to stop the bleeding? Like, what do we need to do to keep these people here? It's like, what can, what, what do we learn? What can we learn about what opportunities there are for us as a business in terms of what, what do we need to do to, to create the kind of culture that we really want to have here? What do we need to do to bring in the best talent next and keep them here forever? Uh, well, forever, but, you know, to engage them in the way that we need to. So, um, I think I think like a reframe around a fear-based, oh my gosh, what do we do towards uh, like an opportunity base? What does this what does this mean for us? Sounds like being intentional. Mm. Well, and that's been my challenge. I've spoken a few times the last six weeks and talking about this time and my challenge to the audience, a lot of them HR leaders has been look, the workforce has reassessed work and life. That's pretty clear. The question of have you reassessed <laughs> it or are you just trying to deal with it? Because dealing with it is right. not the same as fundamentally saying, hey, the world is looking at work differently. We need to look differently yes. at our people mm -hmm. in order to meet that need as opposed to reacting to the challenge. So Exactly. Um, yeah, well said. So here's my, uh, I think, my closing question. We talked in the introduction and referenced it a little bit, this idea that when you're at your most authentic self, that and talk about embodying compassion, intimacy, love, joy, and peace. And here's my challenge question. Do you believe that leaders can embody that and lead well? Those traits. I think they can. And my caveat is don't try to be like someone else. Embody, embody the traits that are really innately inherent to who you are. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, some, some, someone may have a, a trait that's, that's more like playfulness, mm -hmm. right? And so bring more of your playfulness to your leadership. Don't try to be like Chris Rollins, who's compassionate and intimate and loving. Be more of who you are and yeah. be responsible for the impact of, of what those qualities have on other people. So it's like, yes, but, uh, but make sure to, to really uh, honor who you are. Got it. So Chris, this has been just what I expected. Uh, just a level, a rich conversation about a wide range of topics about leadership, as well as leadership and uh, the LBGTQ plus community uh, that, and my hope is that people are listening and not only people in that community are feeling encouraged, but the rest of us like me are walking away saying, I have 
one small step towards different understanding. Mm, yeah. Um, not knowing, because I can't know mm. your experience, but different right. understanding of what you might be experiencing in ways that I can show up differently mm. and be a part of creating that safe space. Well, thank you. And I know how intentional you are about curating your guests and thinking about the diversity and the representation of folks you bring on the show. So I really appreciate you uh, giving me the space to, to, to talk about this stuff. Well, Chris, we, we always want to have our guests have an opportunity to highlight or promote something going on in their world or in their business. And what is that for you? Uh, I'd love to just shout out a, uh, my online community of the, the queer HR, Q-U-E-E-H-R community uh, that is a growing, beautiful, diverse group of LGBT, LGBTQ plus leaders in the people, talent, DEI space. We have a LinkedIn group uh, where we kind of help each other with resources and connections, but we meet once a month to have topic-driven conversations. And actually last month was about employee engagement and the great, uh, <laughs> the great uh, resignation. Um, and so you can go to my website or my LinkedIn and, and uh, check it out. I'd, I'd love to keep growing and building that community. It's a, it's a free thing. It's just intended to help create a space for self-reflection, for meaningful conversation, and for community building within the queer HR space. Awesome. So you mentioned your website and you also mentioned LinkedIn. What's the best way for people to connect with you directly? I would love if anyone's listening to this and curious to connect and talk more to, to reach out to me on LinkedIn and, and send, you know, put in a note that you heard the podcast and um, you can always feel free to check out my website, chrisrollins.me. Wonderful. And we always wrap up with a couple questions and my two questions, my first question for you, Chris, is what's that piece of closing wisdom you want to offer our, our listeners? I think uh, sort of piggybacking on what I shared before is to, is to, is to really be in the space of self-reflection and to rather than think about the leader over there that is really confident or really successful. And I want to be like that person is to really think about the leader that you are and the qualities that you embody and how to bring more of that to the table. Um, and so that is my hope and wish for any, any leader is to connect more with who they are underneath all of the surface level survival mechanism things that show up. Sounds good. Love Sounds that. like authenticity. <laughs> and our last question, Chris is who's that leadership model for you and why are they such a positive leader or model for you? I just really deeply admire uh, the work of Brene Brown and how she's made research around vulnerability so accessible and specifically what I love about her is how she models what it means to be vulnerable in everything that she shares. She doesn't, she doesn't preach about vulnerability. She, she lives it and, mm -hmm. and teaches through it. Uh, and that is really powerful and, and a great show of leadership. Wonderful. Well, I'm a big fan of hers as well. Uh, yeah. I think, I think, she, I feel like she changed things. In the world. I, I do too. I think she, she really, she started a conversation that people were terrified of and she <laughs> stepped into it, acknowledging that it's terrifying. Yeah. And, uh, and yeah, definitely modeled leadership. So Chris, thank you for being here. Thanks for all you've shared and, uh, 
as we tell many of our guests, more importantly, thanks for the work you do in the world. Yep. It really matters. Thank you both so much. If you enjoyed this episode, please go to your favorite podcasting app, rate us, give us some comments, share some love. It helps us to get our message out to more people. Thank you so much. If you enjoy the Leadership Junkies podcast and you want to grow your leadership, we have a new course for you called Become a Confident Leader. In this course, we will share some of the keys to becoming more confident in your leadership and also to become more impactful. Go to cartavera.com confident to find out more. See you on the inside. The Jim Stroud Podcast explores the discoveries and trends forming the future of our lives. Brain-to-brain communication, robot bosses, microchip implants for workers, and artificial intelligence replacing human workers are all happening now. If you want to know what's happening next, subscribe now to the Jim Stroud Podcast.